Dr. Isaac, dial zero. The Brent Community Healthcare System presents Hospital Insider, the podcast. Your host is Gary Chalk, the retired director of public affairs for the Brandt Community Healthcare System, a newspaper columnist, and former radio broadcaster. The podcast features conversations with members of the medical staff, the caregivers, volunteers, the leadership team, and donors of the Brantford General Hospital and the Willett Hospital in Paris. Listening to Hospital Insider, the podcast, will inform and educate you about hospital care. So please share this podcast with your family and friends and encourage them to subscribe as well. Remember, if it has to do with hospital care in Brantford, Paris, and throughout Brant County, we will talk about it on Hospital Insider, the podcast. Welcome, everyone. This is Hospital Insider, the podcast. I'm Gary Trock. This is now episode number 13. And just before we begin, perhaps take a moment to thank all the listeners for the kind comments and suggestions about the podcast and uh, all the recommendations and the sending of the link to the podcast to your friends and families. It's appreciated. We've been doing the podcast for seven months now, and um, obviously it's very popular throughout Southern Ontario, but, but also around the world. It has stretched to include listeners all through many of the states in, in uh, the United States, from Florida through the Panhandle, Texas, Louisiana, Arizona, up the coast of California, and then over on the eastern seaboard, too. And also through the New England states, many of the Caribbean islands, and folks in Australia, over to the continent, to Spain, Austria, England, and even the Philippines and Singapore. So thanks, everyone, for listening. As the world continues to work its way through the COVID-19 pandemic and practice social distancing, it's important to note that the two guests on the podcast today, and also Brandon, our producer, and myself, we're all social distancing. We're conducting the interviews on the telephone from our home. Two guests on the podcast, both are registered nurses, and both have experience caring for patients during a pandemic. A little later on, we'll hear from Angela Cooper Braithwaite. She has, a, has had an illustrious career in nursing. She has a PhD. She's currently the president of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, represents some 44,000 nurses across the province. Angela has worked in uh, the pandemic back in 1972 in her native Trinidad and Tobago during a polio pandemic, and then more recently here in Ontario in 2003 through SARS. Our first guest, though, Liz McNamara. She is a registered nurse working in the intensive care unit at the Brantford General Hospital, so she's well-versed in in caring for COVID-19 patients. Good morning, Liz. How are you today? Good morning. I'm enjoying the sunshine. How are you? Very good, yes. In fact, when the sunshine arose this morning, I jumped in the car and had a quick drive, and I spotted a sign, and I'm sure you've seen them, Liz, and they're they're all over the area. It says, our heroes wear scrubs. Has to make you feel good. It really does. I tell you what, it's been challenging to be on the front lines, but the... Um the amount of support that the community has shown us has been probably one of the most heartwarming things that I've ever experienced in my career. So we're really thankful for all the all the encouragement. That's great. We, we should note that uh, nurses in the ICU work 12-hour shifts. And Liz has been off for a few days before going back. And she's been home recharging her batteries. But that said, she has three young children who are home from school. So so you're, you're trying to catch up on your rest, Liz, but you're also doing some homeschooling. How's that going? Well, <laughs> I'm itching to get back to work. I'm one of those people, I enjoy being a mom, um, but I also enjoy um, being uh, at work 
work as well. I enjoy the the change, the change up. So yeah, there's not a whole lot of resting going on, um, <laughs> but but it's been going okay. We're starting now. We're a few weeks in, so we're starting really to get kind of the groove and you know get get our get our get our you know ducks in a row. So they're oh, they're okay. But that's good. You and, and countless other parents uh, throw the yes. world I guess for that part. Yes. Liz, you always wanted to be a nurse, but you always wanted to work in the intensive care unit. Why was the the thought that you wanted to work in an ICU? Um well it takes, I think, a little bit of time as a nurse to figure out exactly where your niche is going to be. And when I started in medicine, I just felt like I couldn't, I didn't have the personality type to be able to effectively nurse there because I just constantly felt pulled from person to person to person. And I felt like I couldn't, I didn't know why my patients were there by the end of the day. I got, I would get, you know, I was so frazzled all the time with trying to get meds passed and that I felt like I was missing things. So I think for myself, just being able to have the one to two patients and have them, yes, super sick and you're still super busy, super pulled, but at least I felt like I knew everything about my patient um, and that I felt like I more confident I guess in the way that I practice and I do think that you have to have a personality type to be able to be in an ICU and the same thing goes with any other area I think it's just finding where you fit best and so I, I figured that out pretty early on that I needed to get somewhere that was more intensive. Certainly. Let's go back to the very beginning. Liz was born and raised in Michigan near uh, near Flint. Your aunt was a nurse in an ER. Was was that an influence in, in you wanting to become a nurse? Oh, absolutely. Hearing her stories, especially from, I've never worked in emergency, um, but hearing some of her stories was always, wow, that must be a really neat way to, you know, go to work and have something totally different every day. Um, I've never been one to want to do the same thing over and over again, which is why I think nursing is so great. Because even if you get sick of, you know, the, the area you're in, there's the options are just just endless. So. That's true. So you went to Michigan State. You're a you're a, a Spartan. I sure am. Go green. <laughs> you, wearing the, the wearing the green and white exactly. You graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, uh, but you ended up meeting a Canadian. You moved to Canada when you arrived in Ontario. It uh, it wasn't a slam dunk. You had to become licensed as a registered nurse here in Canada. That took a while. It took quite a while. Um, I graduated in December of 2010. Um, thankfully, I was able to practice under a temporary license until I was able to write my exam and get my education approved. But I didn't actually get my license until I think it was December of the following year. So it took a full year and quite a hefty sum of money <laughs> to get mm. um, licensed here. So it wasn't an easy task, but you know now it's in the rearview mirror and everything you know, distant memory. It's all good now, but <laughs> good stuff. You were working at uh, St. Joseph's Hospital in Hamilton, and then at Norfolk General in mm -hmm. Simcoe, which is where you are, are living now. After uh, a couple of years at Norfolk General, you moved over to Brantford General, and a year after that, began working in the ICU at the BGH. Did you? Has it has it measured up? Since you, 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 your, your goal was to be an ICU nurse, is it measured up working in the ICU, met your expectations? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, there are some people who will um, kind of use the BGH ICU as a stepping stone to kind of get that ICU experience to go to the bigger centers like Hamilton, London, um, St. Mary's, that people will 
kind of use that as as a tool to get there to where they're going but for me honestly I I love where I work I love the people that I'm with <clears throat> I love the uh, the amount that we see and the you know it's challenging um, but it's not to the level of you know that trauma type of of uh, intensity so right. and, and, you know for distance wise for commuting purposes I'm I'm quite content where I'm at and my manager I'm sure will be happy to hear that I'm not going anywhere <laughs> that's good to hear talk about the environment in the intensive care unit from a from a a, a staff perspective I'm, I mean is there any change pre well I'm sure there are and we'll get into some of the changes further in the podcast about what it's like caring for COVID-19 patients versus previous to that but you must be a close-knit family with physicians and doctors and all the other specialists that uh, hang out in the uh, the ICU absolutely um, I think because we encounter some situations that are quite literally life or death um, on a semi-regular basis these are the sickest patients in the hospital um, so I, I think you have to have that level of trust that it does take time to kind of build that up but you know I just find the longer I've been there the more that I know my other co-workers my other nurses um, I enjoy being on you know a regular schedule where I'm working with very similar nurses um, so that I know I know them they know me um, and we're able to kind of have a team approach because when somebody's not doing well um, quite often we will have most of the nurses in one room and the physician and the respiratory therapist and so it's very much a you know a, a team approach um, especially when somebody is critically ill one of the team approaches that uh, we we have been hearing considerably uh, about through the COVID-19 is a practice which is called proning can you, can you describe that to us, please? Yeah, so proning um, we is a brand new practice that we've started doing at the Brantford General ICU. Um, once we started to uh, learn more about COVID-19 patients and the difficulty it is taking care of them um, and having them properly ventilate, we started to really explore the option of, of proning patients, which is it takes between five and eight um, healthcare professionals to go into a room um, and you're completely garbed in all of your PPE. Um, you go into that room and you have to slowly but methodically turn the patient from their back to their stomach, which sounds easy enough, but when they're hooked up to so many tubes, so many wires, and you're not wanting that ventilator to become disconnected at all because then it's just going to, you know, spew out COVID-19 on the air. Um, so we want to make sure that we're doing it in the safest way possible, but the benefit to it I've been able to see firsthand has been absolutely incredible. And our one of our charge nurses, Monica Hewitson, who is kind of spearheaded this entire thing by getting a policy all um, together and getting a binder where we, we know what we're doing and we, she's actually gone through and taught us how to do it on each other. So we practiced on each other um, before we had any COVID-19 patients, um, every shift and got better and better at it. And then eventually um, we have been practicing um, since since March, since our first patient came through. Um, every one I'm pretty sure has required proning um, multiple times. So it's been really just that team approach of, you know, going in and, and doing something brand new like that has been really, really incredible to be a part of. 
I can imagine. I know that uh, I've I've learned from other ICU experts uh, around around the world, really, that uh, when the first COVID-19 patients um, entered ICUs, and now perhaps what two months later, that um, things have changed. They've learned and and developed new procedures and policies, like you've mentioned, and 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 proning is is one of them. One other thing you mentioned, Liz, and the public certainly has heard of this. It's personal protection equipment, PPE. How are your supplies and uh, holding out there? Well, I mean, like I said, I haven't been there the last couple of weeks um, trying to just recoup um, from my own respiratory illness, which is thankfully not COVID-19, but they're, you know, keeping every precaution um, to make sure that, um, you know, there's been false negatives and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. so anyway, so when I go back, um, I'm still hopeful that we have the the supply that I was told, you know, before I left that we have. They're being very um, cautious with it. We're trying to make sure that we're not frivolously overusing PPE because of the shortages that have been a problem worldwide. So I think as a nurse, you know, you're trying to keep yourself safe, but at the same time, know that, you know, these are precious supplies right now and we don't want to be wasteful with them. Um, but yeah, it has, it's just a, a you know, it's just a thing in the back of your mind. You're just anxious that one day you're going to run out. But at this point in time, it's, that doesn't seem to be the case. So we're thankful for that. Certainly. One of the things that, uh, that, uh, nurses are, are taught in nursing school and it, uh, it segues right into the PPE, the personal protection equipment, donning and doffing. What? <laughs> donning and doffing is um, a procedure. Basically, it's a fancy word for taking off your PPE is doffing and putting on your PPE is donning. Um, so especially with COVID-19, we've been very um, methodical on watching each other um, put on and take off our PPE to make sure that there's no gaps, that we're doing it properly, um, and uh, kind of catching each other, you know, no, right now you're washing your hands. You're not, you know, take continuing to take things off. So um, it's just been just one more uh, thing that we're just kind of extra cautious about, I guess. I know that uh, even people at home, I find myself, I do the grocery shopping and I'm bringing things into the house, but before I do so, I stage everything out in the garage and I've been taking my mask off and I've been wearing some gloves and I, I perhaps use some sanitizers on some of the, the, the boxes that come with the groceries and I sort of leave them on a table and then eventually I bring them into the pantry or whatever in the house. So, so even in our homes, we are donning and doffing, but certainly not to the degree of uh, the expertise and the requirement that you and all your cohorts are doing in the intensive care unit. You mentioned at the outset that, that uh, the support that you've recognized and have realized there's a big sign, big long sign stretched across um, a fence opposite the hospital thanking the frontline healthcare workers. And can you talk a little bit about the support that you've received specific to the intensive care unit at Brantford General? Yeah, um, we have had so many, I can't even tell you how many times I brought lunch to work and I didn't <laughs> eat it because there was just so that people would just send these beautiful trays of wraps and fruits and um, individualized salads and just the 
the support of, you know, providing lunch. It's just something to just brighten your day when you've spent all day sweating in your mask and your, you know, gloves and gowns and all that kind of stuff. And just to be able to go in and just pick up a, a free salad and just enjoy something that you didn't have to, you know, not leftovers from the night before or going down to Tim's to get another wrap right. or whatever it might be. Um, it's just, it's been really heartwarming to just see the, the community. And I think people probably just felt a little bit helpless, stuck at home. Yeah you know, and, and feeling like you want to help, but you don't know how. And so that was just such a heartwarming thing to be able to, you know, just felt like everybody in Brantford was just behind you, just helping you um, just to stay standing during a very scary and unknown time, right? Liz, you are very positive. You're, you're, you have a bright outlook, just like the sunshine this morning. But I'm <laughs> sure there are difficult times dealing with, with patients and, and certainly their family members that you've had to, had to uh, endure and uh, have discussions about. Absolutely. Um, I think the hardest part for me has been the, um, the heartbreaking moments where um, patients' families can't come see them even if it's not related to COVID-19, but just everybody, there's just no visiting unless it's end of life or a, a birth, right? right. Um, so it's been really hard, I think, on everybody um, as a nurse, that extra stress of being their only person to be there to try and listen to them or see what their needs are. I can't even tell you how many times a family member has been able to tell me what their family member is trying to say, or, you know, they're in pain, but they don't want to bother you, but, you know, I want to advocate for them. Um, so just those moments of having to have that heightened sense of, um, you know, responsibility and um, having these COVID-19 patients and having to Zoom call their families daily for their updates and um, just seeing the heartbreak in their their family, I can't even imagine having my spouse or my mother in an ICU and not being able to go and, and see them. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely heartbreaking for, I think, all parties involved. As you mentioned at the outset that you've been home for a couple of weeks now, you developed a, a cough and a little bit of difficulty breathing. Mm -hmm. And thank heavens, uh, your results came back from testing for COVID-19 as, as negative and, uh, but you also told me that after your 12-hour shifts in the ICU, you drive back home to Cinco from Brantford, find yourself thinking about your family, your husband, your three young children quite a bit. I do, yeah. I I have my own little second doffing, I should say. Mm -hmm. So we've been um, where I, I just carry um, bleach wipes in my car, and then when I get out of my car, I wipe everything down, and then I basically just come in take off my socks right away so that I'm, you know, because I change my shoes at work, leave my shoes outside, take off my socks before I walk through the door. Right. And then I go right up and have, have a, a hot shower. So it's, it's just been a different, it's just different. I didn't used to be so meticulous when I would come home. I would usually, you know, shower and all that, but I was not, not nearly as meticulous as what I am now. And it's just given you that you know, heightened sense of a little bit more cautious than I would, I would never be able to forgive myself if I didn't do everything I could to keep this virus out of my house. Certainly it, uh, it, it's good advice for everybody. At the outset, we talked about the lawn signs that are throughout the area, say our heroes wear scrubs. Liz, I know you're one of the many nurses, the 
physicians, the respirologists, and all the others on the team working very, very diligently during difficult times for the ICU. It's an honor to speak with you, and I want to thank you on behalf of our entire community for everything you're doing. You really are our hero. Please express awesome. our, our, uh, our thoughts to everybody you work with at the Bradford General ICU. I will do that, absolutely. And thank you, everybody, for your encouragement um, during these unknown times, for sure. Have a good day, Liz. Thanks, Gary. Our second guest on this edition of Hospital Insider, the podcast, is the president of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, Angela Cooper-Braithwaite. Angela, how are you today? I am doing very well, thank you. I just came from a virtual take your MPP to work with Premier Ford and Minister Fullerton. Good for you. This is National Nurses Week, and how appropriate with lawn signs all around the country saying, our heroes wear scrubs, and we're speaking with Angela, who is the, the president representing some 44,000 nurses in, uh, in Ontario. Angela has a PhD in nursing. She's actually worked through two pandemics, which is what we wanted to talk about a bit today. First in Trinidad and Tobago during the polio pandemic in 1972, and then more recently back in two. 2003 here in Ontario during SARS. Angela, can you describe the experience, the polio pandemic in Trinidad? You had just graduated, and as I understand it, you were suddenly designated to report to a ward in the hospital in Trinidad that was responsible for immunizing patients for polio. What was it like? We were surprised. I was very surprised because being a new RN working in a pediatric, I was expected to stay there for at least two years or so to gain more experience. But then I was asked um, to go to the outpatient department, which was designated to be the area that we were going to vaccinate people. So once I got over that um, surprise, um, we were given and reported to the manager in charge of the outpatient department. She gave us a tour of the area, so we were familiar with what area we were working in, um, where the resources were. And um, once we got familiar with those, I was able to settle down. I knew how polio was spread, and I know the vaccine that we were going to give was the Sabine vaccine the attenuated vaccine which was given orally so we had to take all the necessary precautions when we were administering those vaccines wearing our masks and gowns but of course i must mention all our immunizations were up to date so that took away some of the fear to me it was more like adventure doing something differently and we were excited New grads and all the third-year nursing students were de- redeployed from where they were working there in order to immunize the population. And, and how I long think did that go for? That was about three or four months it lasted. And we worked two shifts from 6 a.m. in the morning to 2 p.m. and 2 p.m. in the afternoon until 10 p.m. at night. So then if we fast forward, Angela, your next experience as a nurse, a registered nurse in a pandemic, was back in 2003 in, uh, in Ontario, SARS. And by this time, you are working in Durham region, just west of Toronto, which is where we find you today. Uh, just to refresh everyone's memory, people weren't allowed to travel in and out of Canada during SARS. Hospitals were closed to visitors. Healthcare providers were restricted to working for one employer. Sounds, sounds similar to the present-day COVID-19 experience. Agree? Yes, it was a very... 
seeing this time for us, people were very frightened. Healthcare workers were frightened. And I, again, was working at um, as a manager in the Injury Prevention and Substance Misuse Program and was redeployed to the Infectious Disease Program in Public Health. I was working the day shift with another manager, and we had the multidisciplinary staff, so you could have about three or 400 staff you have to supervise, give them updates every day, and the updates or the new protocols from the Ministry of Health and from Public Health, the Chief Medical Officer of Health Ontario came daily. Daily things changed because people didn't know the extent of SARS. They knew it was an infectious disease. They knew there was no vaccine and so many uncertainties were surrounding that situation. So we were deployed and we worked two shifts. Public health normally work day shifts. Right. So I remember shifts. I was working at the time at the Brantford General and I was at the uh, the um, the desk where we worked all oh, it seemed like 16 18 hour days for, for probably over a month where you were deployed at that time in Durham region uh, there were I understand over 10,000 people that were quarantined no vaccine yes. or specific treatment yes over 10,000 people were in, in quarantine and the staff took their vital signs their temperatures via telephone of course and find out if they were developing any more serious problems or if the problems were changing so they did vital signs took a bit of history the patient health status every day twice a day it was done on the day shift and on the evening shift and any new cases that were added we received those because Although we had staff who were do monitoring patients at home via telephone, we also had staff who were on the lines, the call-in lines, and you had a lot of people who had concerns as well who would call in on those lines to um, either voice complaints, seek information, or tell that they, they might, some of them even snitch on the neighbors, say they know the neighbors had the, the, were on isolation and was leaving the house. You know, so you had all those different things to call on, and some people were so afraid you had to deal with their fear as well. So you had to address mental health issues. So there are some also nurses working on those calling lines as well, plus those who are doing the contact tracing of any new cases or suspected cases. So public health was so organized in different areas, but I was in the area where we were monitoring the staff responsible for that volume of staff there. There was also another group of nurses, including the epidemiologists, who were doing um, surveillance, and they were also making arrangements with some of the businesses, grocery stores, supermarkets, and pharmacies. And we had an agreement with many of them that they were willing to provide services to people who were in quarantine. So we made a list. We put it on the website for the health department. We also announced it on radio as well as TV, and people knew where they could get the information, who, who they could call to, and how they could purchase food and supplies. And the groceries will drop the food, or the pharmacy would drop the food outside their doors, ring the doorbell, so that they were able to be fed without breaking the quarantine. Right. I know that uh, as we record this podcast, it's uh, it's the middle of May 2020, and it's also the 200th anniversary of the birth of Florence Nightingale, the founder of Modern Nursing. 
Here in Ontario, as I said at the outset, there's over 44,000 nurses who belong to the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, of which Angela is the president. The theme is so appropriate for your celebration this year. Nurses, a voice to lead, nursing the world to health. You must be terribly proud of all your all your fellow nurses. Well, I am, and, and this year we are celebrating nursing for who they are and what they've done. And when I say who they are, I acknowledge and thank the nurses for their effectiveness in treating patients, for the compassionate care, for the competent care, for the client-centered care. They are selfless. They go on the lines. They go to the units. Even though some of them are afraid, they go on the units and they treat patients and the possibility they could get it. So they have to be very careful in how they deliver the care. So I am really commending nurses for that and also commending them for what they do. What they do is taking care of the people of Ontario, and they do it tirelessly, selflessly, with dedication, because they care about people. Many of us who go into nursing, because we care about people, we enter into this profession. So I really commend the nurses for who they are and what they've done, all their achievements, so they could give themselves a pat on the back in 2020. Certainly, like the signs are saying, lawn signs throughout uh, all the communities across Ontario and Canada, our heroes wear scrubs. Angela, thank you for joining me on Hospital Insider, the podcast today. Thanks for everything you and the 44,000 plus nurses that you represent as president of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario do. Thanks, Angela. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. And this concludes another episode of Hospital Insider, the podcast. My guests have been Angela Cooper-Brethwaite, the president of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, and the 44,000 members who are, are nurses across the province, and also Liz McNamara, a registered nurse working in the intensive care unit at the Brantford General Hospital. Please join me in another two weeks, another episode of Hospital Insider, the podcast. In the meantime, stay well so you can do good. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Hospital Insider, the podcast, a presentation of the Brant Community Healthcare System. Hospital Insider, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting forum. Please press subscribe, and you will always be up to date with Hospital Insider, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please pass it along to your friends. Encourage them to subscribe as well. It's appreciated. In two weeks, we'll return with a new episode of Hospital Insider, the podcast with Gary Chalk. Thank you for listening. I'm Sandy Bishop.